0: So today beginning uh that we are beginning a new year uh beginning last week, but the year begins now, that means that the old year has passed. and that's not necessarily a novel thought it but it's factual what happened in two thousand twenty two happened in two thousand twenty two and so now we have some questions. What do we do with what happened in 2022? And how do we prepare for the year coming ahead in 2023? You know, Pastor Rip, you, see, you, you led me right into it because we're talking about seasons, right? And life is made up of chapters, we don't close the book. We just close a particular chapter. And more, Normally, every year is a chapter closed. And all the things that happen in that year are, is a chapter closed. And uh, it, it, it becomes milestones for our lives. We look back and we normally look at what happened in that year of our life. What happened in that year to us? What happened in our society in 2022? What happened in your personal life? In 2022. See, these are some really good questions. How are the world events shaping your life? You know, and we could take a lot of time probably going through every one of those questions and many more trying to understand exactly how we're conditioned and how we are uh, manipulated in some ways by the time of our society and what's going on. But here's a question that I consider to be the biggest question of all, and that is, how are the events, the world events, and even the personal events, lining up with God's prophetic word? You see, because if we look at the Bible, if we want to know really what the future holds, look at the Bible. It is more accurate and more up-to-date than your newspaper, because the Bible has prophesied all these things that are happening and all these things that have been going on are not a surprise to God. He's very much aware of everything that's happening. God has a plan for all of life. He's got a plan for all the things that are happening in your life, in my life, in our world events. Now that doesn't mean that Everything that happens, because God has a plan for it, that doesn't mean that everything that happens is good the way we define good. Because we define good maybe a little different than the way God defines good. And the reason that it's not is because God gave man a very powerful power called free choice. And because we have free choice, we can subvert or complicate God's perfect plan. You see, when Adam and Eve made that fateful choice 6,000 plus years ago, that separated man from God. That took what God had made perfectly and not just distorted it and twisted it, but it actually destroyed it. It actually destroyed the relationship that God had with man by the act of sin but because God is so big and so powerful and has a plan that he did not let Adam and Eve's sin destroy his plan for mankind. It has caused us a lot of grief. It's caused us a lot of heartache. It's caused us a lot of pain that's needless pain because the sin. But God has a plan, and that's why I can be confident when I say that that even though man's sinful choices were and are opposed to God's plan, he still loves us. He still has grace for us. He still has mercy for us. He still has a place in his heart that is specially held just for you. Like we've often said, that there is a God-shaped vacuum in the life of every man that's filled and satisfied only by the presence of God. Can I say that there's God, there's a place in God's life that is shaped for you. And God wants you to fill that place in his life, in his eternal life. And that's why there's a longing to go home. That's why we can sing that song, I Want to Go Back. It was a great song, Jackie. It's the first time we've sang that here, and I love that song. Let's sing it some more. There's a lot of truth in that song that we want to come back to our first love. I know it's easy for us to become discouraged and maybe even angry about the way that our country is going right now. I think there's a lot of angst in all of us about the political direction that our country is going. In many aspects, many facets politically, they seem to be destroying our freedoms, don't they? They seem to be destroying this democracy that was set up 200 plus years ago, 250 plus years ago. But I don't want to focus on that necessarily because there's no hope in our country anyways. (laughs) There is no eternal hope in our country, even though we live in it and we are good patriots and that's good. I'm glad we are. But God has so much more in store for us than what our country can give us. Remember, God has a plan for redemption. And that's what I want to encourage us with today. What is that plan of redemption that God has for all of us. No matter what happened in 2022 and no matter what's going to happen in 2023, I want to encourage you that God has a plan for it and he understands all of it and he knows it's happening and he's okay with it. He's not up in heaven wringing his hands thinking, oh, I wonder what's going to happen next. He's totally aware of it And he says, I want to give you confidence. I want to give you assurance, those that are choosing him. I want to give you assurance that I have it all under control, and I want you to be comfortable because I have it in my hand. So I want to talk about a passage in Hebrews today that is going to be talking about a time that the disciples were going through some difficulties, and they were called to persevere in their convictions and they had to be encouraged in their faith to not give up in the times that they were persu- that they were involved with at that time. so I want to give you a little history here a little a little, a little setup of what we're going to talk about in, in this passage in Hebrews the writer is referring to the day of Christ's crucifixion. That was a bad day for his disciples. that kind of upset their whole world, don't you think that they just that their master that their uh, rabbi their hope was killed that day. But it, Christ's crucifixion all relates to this Jewish system of yearly sacrifices that were given by the high priest who would enter the Holy of Holies one time a year to make a corporate sacrifice for the Jewish people. So in Hebrews chapter 10 at verse 4, it says this, It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Jesus saying, then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. That's what Jesus did. But before we can truly appreciate what Jesus came to do, We need to understand what Jesus didn't come to do. Before we can really appreciate the purpose of His life and His death, we need to understand what He didn't do because so often we get confused and we, we miss, we mistake God's plan in why Jesus came. So let me tell you what Jesus didn't come to do. Jesus didn't come to establish a political party and divide for everyone's vote and thus be the most popular Governmental leader. He didn't do that. He didn't need to, he didn't, he didn't need to be approved by men. He didn't come to please men in that regard. He didn't come to create a social wel- welfare system. To create equity, uh, equality and equity programs so that everyone had all the same opportunities in life. That's not why he came. And so often we think that. So often we think that Jesus came to set the world straight in this regard. Can I tell you, he didn't even come to bring peace. Now that'll blow your socks off, because I thought that's what he came for. But that's not what the Bible says. Let's see what the Bible says. Matthew chapter 10, 34 through 39. Jesus says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Verse 37, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Now, I know that that's not what the Christmas story is all about. <laughs> this kind of we have to think about this. You know, when we think about God, we think we can put God in our little box, the way we can understand God. All of a sudden, Jesus says something like this, and totally destroys our theology. Totally sets us upside down because we thought that that Jesus came to bring peace, that He was a peacemaker. There's so much more to what God is doing than what we can put God into that box of our understanding. Billy Graham gives this insight this way. He says, the human race continues its futile search for peace in all the wrong places, placing its hope in governments, successes, or religions. Millions search for what can only be found in Christ. There have been men and women who had the, if there had been men and women who had the ability to write a check for millions of dollars, they would have offered it. It, If it would have, if, if it would bring them peace, but peace cannot be bought. He goes on to say, Jesus asked the question, Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather a sword. Jesus was not saying that he he prevented peace. He was giving fair warning that his message would divide people. After all, who likes to be told they are sinners who must repent? When Christ began his earthly ministry, he showed love, gave comfort, and brought healing. The people's response was to oppose him, reject him, arrest him, and kill him. The same people that talk of peace, lobby for it and convene peace conferences, are often the same people who are blinded by Satan, who does not want the world to recognize the source of peace. Satan does everything in his power to steer peace seekers away from the peacemaker, Jesus Christ. But personal peace can be realized in the here and now. Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. John 16.33 The future does not hinge on the world situation, however grim it might become. It depends on what each person does about Jesus Christ. There's so much truth in what Billy Graham just wrote there. The reality is that you and I, can have the peace that Christ offers if you and I personally take him up on that offer of peace. But it all hinges on our relationship with him. It all hinges on not how much I know of him or know about him or read about him. It all hinges upon what is my relationship with him. That's where we get our peace. That's the source of peace that the world does not know. The reason Jesus came into the world as a man was to become the sacrifice that would be the final and complete sacrifice for all of mankind's sin. And through that sacrifice, all men would have the opportunity to once again be in proper relationship with his Father in heaven. We all know this. This is not new to us. This is not the first time you've heard this. But the writer goes on in this chapter to encourage all those that believe in Jesus... And is sacrificed to persevere in their faith. You know, perseverance is a difficult thing. Patience is a difficult thing to develop. How many are here are naturally patient? (laughs) Are we born with patience? Or are we born with an anxiety? of wanting to know what's the end going to be. I I can remember talking to my dad before he passed. And he was very confident of his future because he had a relationship with Jesus that he had reestablished in the last few years of his life, truly reestablished it. But yet we talked and he had anxiety about death. He said, I'm not I'm not afraid of where I'm going. I just don't know what it's going to feel like to get there. <laughs> I had never died before, he said. You know, my dad says these very, very novel things, like if you, lo- if you live long enough, you're going to die, those kind of real obvious things. But yet there was an anxiety built into mankind because we don't know what the future holds necessarily and how it's going to impact us personally. And I think when we can develop that relationship with Christ that gives us a hope and an assurance and a confidence that the world doesn't have, and there's nowhere to get it in the world. As Billy Graham said, if a man could write a check for a million dollars, you couldn't buy peace. Peace is fleeting to the world because it's not available to the world because they don't know this peace giver. They don't know the source of peace. And this is why we can read what we're going to read in Hebrews about how we develop this. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day, capital D, day, approaching. The capital D day is the rapture. The capital D day is is the taking away of the church which then begins the true end times called the tribulation. The word confidence here was used four times by the writer in Hebrews, and each time it's unique in its setting. This way it's used in this particular setting is more used in a a bold yet humble assurance that when Jesus died that moment on the cru- on the cross when he died and he said it is finished understand what was happening it was passover the high priest the one time of the year that he is cleansed so that he can go into the holy of holies and perform the annual sacrifice of the blood of bulls and goats for the sins of the people for that previous year. He's in the Holy of Holies performing the sacrifice. Jesus dies on the cross as the ultimate one-time sacrifice for all men. And when he does, what does God do? He rips the curtain that separates the Holy of Holies from the outer courts, and he rips it from top to bottom, and what he, what he, what he does, when he does that, what he's signifying is now the Holy of Holies is open to all men. You come into the Holy of Holies now to cleanse yourself of your sin through the shed blood of Jesus, not the shed blood of a goat or a bull. And that is what's happening here. That's what's being described here. And what's so amazing is that this was not possible in the Old Testament covenant. This is a new thing that happened that day. And for the people of that day, they didn't really understand what was happening. They didn't understand the new chapter that was opening now to the life of mankind. You see, because they were restricted to the order of men that God had established in the Old Testament covenant that said that men had to take care of their sin on a yearly basis by the high priest who would go into that Holy of Holies and do a one-time sacrifice that would take care of the sins of that past year. Now they're moving into a new chapter of freedom that they themselves can enter the Holy of Holies directly through the sacrifice of Jesus. This is a whole new way of life. It's a whole new way of thinking for them. And they've never experienced it before. And I don't think we can really appreciate that. Because we have not been under the, under the, the Old Testament law of animal sacrifice. To all of a sudden say that that's not necessary anymore would be a real life-changing experience. And I don't, I think they, Once they understood that, once they applied that, once they could grasp what Jesus was doing for them, I think that really changed their life. And maybe that's why the modern church today has a hard time with the change that's required because we don't see the significance of what the offering of Jesus really is. Maybe we don't really appreciate the fact that he gave his life one time for all and he poured out his blood on that cross that day so that we could have eternal relationship with him based upon one offering, not a yearly offering by a high priest. This is why verse 20 is significant. It says, By a new and living way opened for us through the curtain. What is the curtain? That curtain that he's talking about is that curtain that I just talked about that is separating the most holy place from the outer court. That's the curtain that God created, and that curtain was anywhere from 12 to 18 inches thick, and it could have been 60 feet tall. That was the curtain that prevented man from going into the holy of holy where God's presence was. That's the curtain that's being talked about here. He says, A new and a living way opened for us through the curtain that is now... The body of Christ. The body of Christ now is that curtain that we go through to get into the presence of God. We pass into the presence of God through the body of Christ. And since then, we have a great high priest over the house of God. Who's that high priest? Jesus. Jesus' body is now that curtain we pass through. He's the great high priest. We pray to God the Father through Jesus. When we pray, we pray, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We pray through Jesus, the, the 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 curtain of body of Christ's body. He is our great high priest, and he is our mediator. And that's why the Bible is clear when it says in John 14:6 that Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, that takes... It takes the pressure off us having to be so good that we can earn God's pleasure. I can't do enough on my own to be good enough. The only way I get into heaven, the only way I get into the presence of God is through Jesus, through the blood of Jesus the great high priest that we now have there's no other way than to accept the fact that our sin must be forgiven by Christ my good works i can't do enough good things to erase the bad and there are some there are some religions some world religions that do that That you can have, you have to do more good things than bad things and that qualifies you to get into heaven. That some of the world religions are that way. Well that's not Christianity. There's nothing you can do good enough on your own to get into heaven or to see the presence of God. To feel the presence that we felt here in worship is not because Jackie was good enough this week or I was good enough or Pastor Rip was good enough or you were good enough. No, the presence of the Holy Spirit was here because He's good enough. And we come under his presence through because of our relationship with him through the forgiveness of our sins. Amen. <laughs> That's amazing. That's why our good works are as filthy rags to God. Isaiah chapter 64, 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all of our righteous acts, the goodness in our life, all the good things we can do, the righteous acts, are like filthy rags. We all shrivel, shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. That's what we are if we don't have Christ. That's the world system. So what are we instructed to do from here? Let's continue on. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, it says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance, boy, I love that word, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Mm. The writer here is instructing us to draw near to God with a sincere heart, not a flippant heart. A sincere heart with faith. What does that mean? Faith and drawing near to God through Jesus are inseparable for one to have a saving relationship. Let me explain it this way. My, my Bible commentary says this. Faith in God. Faith in God is sincerely believing in God and trusting one's life to His care relying on him for help and strength and trusting in his goodness. And with that comes a freeing from the guilt of the past and the assurance of a new life ahead. Jesus equates faith with sincerity and prayer and drawing near to God. Do you see the significance of that? The forgiveness of Christ is the most amazing experience men can ever have. You know, there are thrill seekers out there that jump off mountains and, you know, jump out of airplanes and, you know, do all crazy stuff, right? But there is no greater thrill than having your sins forgiven. There is no greater thrill than having your conscience wiped clean of the guilt of your past. There is a freedom that comes when your conscience is freed from the guilt. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you experienced it? When the Bible says having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, you know, it's kind of downplaying it a little bit. It's more like having been washed in Niagara Falls. How many have ever been in Niagara Falls? The power of that great, fall, that water coming off, and, and just the, the sound and the power. You know, it's more like we're cleansed by Niagara Falls than sprinkled <laughs> with the blood of Christ. That's the power. That's the significance. Let me ask you, some of the old timers here, and maybe some of the new people as well. Can you remember, can you remember the moment that your sins were forgiven? Can you remember what it felt like? when you asked Jesus to forgive you, the load that was taken off your shoulders, the freedom that you felt. I mean, I was 12 years old, and I had a lot of sins. (laughs) I mean, I was full of sin at 12, right? But I can remember that. I can remember when I asked Jesus, and I felt like, man, I am really good now. I mean, I felt pure. I felt clean. I wish I would have stayed that clean all my life, but, you know, I thank God every morning for His forgiveness. And I, quite honestly, I every morning in my morning prayer, in my time of prayer time, I ask the Lord again, forgive me afresh and new. Sometimes I feel that great release again. I wish I felt it every time. I wish I could go back, Jackie, like we sang to my first love every day. And I think that's such a powerful prayer that we should be praying. God, take us back. Take us back to our first love. Let us not grow cold. Let us not grow complacent. Man, that's a trick of the devil. I want you to know that. Complacency and comfortability are the trick of the enemy because it takes us away from that intensity, that passion that we should have in our life when we experience the first love of Christ. You see, because once we were condemned to die. We were condemned to die. Even being really good. We were condemned to die. But now, with Christ, you are alive forevermore. I mean, there is no condemnation. There is now no condemnation for the man that believes in Christ because that has been removed. Amen. That's why John 5.24 says, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. When one receives Christ, they're moving from condemnation to freedom, from death to life. It happens in a heartbeat. When you accept Christ and you accept him as your Savior and you continue then to grow and to make him your Lord, you are the process of moving more into life all the time. Condemnation leads to eternal punishment. Forgiveness leads to eternal life. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the news that we're to share with people. But the enemy, the enemy's still there. Even though we have the assurance there, the enemy is always present to do everything he can to rob us of that freedom, and he wants to bring us the guilt of sin again in our life. That's why the writer goes on to say, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promises is faithful. We need to hold on. We need to, we need to put our, our stake in the ground and say, I will not be moved. Understand, the devil hates you. I can't say it any other way. He absolutely detests you, and he wants to destroy you, and he will lie to you unceasingly. He will try to rob you of that assurance and that hope that you have. And recognize we are in a battle, guys, and we're going to be in that battle as long as we're living in this fleshly tent. We are going to be in a battle, and you need to know what you're up against. I don't say this to discourage you. I don't say this to to make to give you a bad day tomorrow. No, I say this so that you know when that ki- when that time comes, you tell the devil he's a liar and tell him to get out. He's lying to you. You are not guilty anymore of that sin. You've been forgiven. And now you can walk in assurance That's why it says in Deuteronomy 32, 3-4, it says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. How glorious is our God. He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God and does no wrong how just and upright he is. That's the God we serve. And that's the way we need to remind ourselves because God is our protector. And even when the enemy comes, against us in all of his lies. We can stand against him because we know that we win. And now comes a time where in the writer in Hebrews chapter 10, he tells us now, he gives us now some good instruction on how we live this day forward. And I think this is probably really important that we understand what he says here. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, he says, And let us consider now, How we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. What does this mean? What does it mean to spur one another on? It means to sometimes kick them in the butt. (laughs) It means sometimes you got to take a poker and poke the guy next to you and say, Come on, get going, let's go. We don't have to be down in the dumps anymore. We don't have to be discouraged anymore. We need to encourage each other, and sometimes it takes a stern word. Sometimes it takes love. Sometimes it takes maybe an arm around the shoulder. And to say, I'm going to pray for you. But we're to, I I love the word spur because spur indicates some passion, some intensity, some intentionality. I'm going to poke you if I have to. (laughs) I, I love you enough. I'm not going to let you be, I'm not going to let you remain in your misery. No, what we do is we spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is a passage that talks to us about how important church is. Listen to me. The enemy will say, as soon as I said that, some of us hackles raised and said, I don't want to go to church all the time. I don't have to be in church all the time. Well, you're right, you don't. But if you aren't, you lose. (laughs) I'm just saying it because there's power in the church, and it's not in this building. It means coming together as the body of Christ. We are to spur one another on. We're to encourage each other. We are to love each other, and we're to pray for each other, and we're to support each other in the needs that we have. And let me tell you this. Life is not all about you. Life is not all about you. And I know a lot of people say, I don't need to go to church because I can be a good Christian all by myself. Well, maybe you can. I'm not judging you on that. Maybe you can but what are you doing for the guy that you're not sitting next to in church? What are you doing for the one that needs you in church? You see, if life is all about us, then why did Christ die for everybody? Why did he come for the masses if it's all about me? And I see the devil is all about being self-centered. The devil is all about being a me-first attitude. But there's something about Christ that when I really have Christ in my heart, that changes. All of a sudden, I have a compassion for people. When I can love like Christ loves, then the last thing I think about is me. When I truly have the love of Christ in my heart, then the last thing I think about is me. Now, I'm not saying that because I'm perfect in that. I will tell you that right now. But think about it. If Jesus loved us enough to die, a death that he didn't have to die, I mean, remember, at any time in that process, he could have bailed out. He could have gone back to heaven Rightfully so, because he had no sin. But because he loved me, and because he loved you enough, he went through with the process, and he became the sin offering that we now enjoy. And so when I say that if I can love you the way Christ loves you, then that means that I will die for you. That's pretty extreme, I understand that. But that's kind of what Jesus was saying. He says, when, when, if you love your father more than I, it wasn't that we are to hate people. No, it's a, it's a significant contrast between how much can I love Christ, how much do I love Christ, and how much do I love myself. I know I'm overstressing this point, or I don't think I'm overstressing it. I am stressing it. I don't think I can ever overstress the point. But Jesus, God, created us to be a people, not a person of worship. We are his church, not his individual. He's coming back for the church. The bride is the church. Yes, the church is made up of people, just like the body is made up of many parts we as an individual make up the church and therefore I am needed in my individual giftings in the church to be part of the church to make the church whole you see we're living guys in the last days I truly believe that we are living in the end of the last days I mean I fully expect Christ to come back this year I fully expect him to come back tomorrow. I don't know if he will. I'm not going to tell you that he is. I expect it. I'm living with that anticipation. And that's a good way to live because we're instructed to live that way. And you can hem-haw at that and you can say, Mike, you're overreacting to it. Fine, say that. But I want to be ready. I want to be ready when my last breath happens. I want to be ready. I don't want to think I have 10 years. I don't know. And I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but I fully anticipate Him, because all the signs are happening, I fully anticipate that His last, his coming could be today. It's the way I live, to the best that I can. My commentary says it this way, the day of Christ's return for His faithful is fast approaching. As it does, we will face increasingly difficult times, opposition, persecutions, and spiritual deception. Coming together regularly with other believers for worship, Christian fellowship, and biblical instruction will provide the necessary encouragement to help each other, help each of us hold firmly to our faith and trust in Christ. This is a testimony to the world that Christ is our focus and our eternal hope. I hope this makes sense. I hope you're seeing the point here. Yeah, I could go out and enjoy my Sunday mornings on a golf course in the summertime at least. Or Rip could go out on ice and fish, ice fish on Sunday mornings. I could do that very easily. But what are you giving up? Think of what you're giving up when it's all about you. And I know I'm getting kind of in your face and that's okay. I I trust you love me and I love you. That's why I'm saying it. But the truth is the truth, and I say it in love. It's all about being together. It's all about coming together as a body of Christ, supporting each other, living for each other. And I'm just not talking about this church. I'm talking about this church joining arms with the church down the street and the church on that side that are the same Bible-believing churches. We need to come together as the church and not argue and have competition between churches. We need to pray for other pastors. We need to pray for other churches. We need to come together as the body of Christ because that's who he's coming back for. He's not coming back for Centerpoint Assembly. He's coming back for the church, Capital C Church, that's made up of numerous churches like this church all around the world. And that's the hope. That's the promise. Jackie, would you come, please? The enemy is not going to lessen his attacks. As we get closer, he's not going to lessen his attacks on us. He's not going to give up on you because he's still working on you. He's not going to give up on me. His lies and his deceptions are going to continue to come. The evil will become will start hitting closer to home. Even maybe in Charlevoix. we start we we start may seeing some really difficult things. Opposition and attacks on your mind will increase. I'm just telling you. You will be challenged more than you've ever been in the past. The closer you get to the return of Christ, expect it, but don't give in to it. Don't be discouraged by it. Jude says some really important things. Who is Jude? I love when I talk about Jude and James because they were the half-brothers of Christ. Think about that. This man that I'm going to read right now, he grew up in the same house with Jesus. He was Mary and Joseph's, one of Mary and Joseph's real sons. Jude was. And so was his brother James. So when he speaks something in the Bible, I really think it's important. And I like to think what he's thinking because he grew up with that perfection of Christ as a brother. Think about that. Jude chapter 1. Seventeen through twenty-five. It says this. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers. What's a scoffer? People that say it's not going to happen. He hasn't come yet. Why is he going to come now? Yeah, I've been hearing about it all my life. Jesus coming back. That's a scoffer. Not believing what's going to happen. That's a scoffer. He said, in the last times. There will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, how do we do that? We come together. We build each other up and we pray in the Spirit together. Verse 21, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by by corrupted flesh. You know, folks, we are to love the way Jesus loves. We are to love what Jesus loved. At the same time, we're to hate what Jesus hated. Let me tell you what Jesus hated. Jesus hated sin. He hated anything that would separate man from his father. That's sin. We're to hate that. We're not to play with it. We're not to pay, play with it like it's a, a patty cake. Or it's like something we can play with in the week and then put away it on the weekends. No. We're to, as it says here, that we are to hate even the clothing stained by the corrupted flesh. That is anything to do with sin, we're to detest. Not to be better than them, not to be holier than thou. But when we do that, we can show the love of Christ. And then Jude ends with this promise of hope and eternal life with Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. He says this, verse 24, He says, To Him, who is Him? God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. To Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before His glorious presence without fault, without guilt, and with great joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Verse 25, To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. What a doxology. What a way to end knowing that we have this eternal hope. So as we move into 2023, I pray that we recommit ourselves to God and to prove to Him that we are all in as we go through life's journey amen does that string a chord does that strike a chord in your heart so how do we do this how do we do it simple points let's read and study god's word with a renewed passion let's get back into study let's get back into reading god's word and studying it with a passion Let's prove our love by obeying Christ in our everyday lives. What does the Bible say? If you love me, Jesus says, you do what? You obey me. You prove your love by obeying Christ. That's what the Bible says. Let's ask the Holy Spirit for daily encounters and opportunities to share Jesus. When you get up in the morning, say, God, give me a divine appointment. Make me ready in season and out. That's what Pastor Rip talked about last Sunday. I love that. Make me ready in season and out so that when my the opportunity comes, I can share the joy that I have, that I can share the promise of hope that I have. Give me an opportunity to share it with someone in my family. Let's commit to coming to church. Not just to come to church to check the box. I'm not talking that. If that was all it was, I wouldn't be here either. But let's come to church to be a part of the body of Christ. Let's enter in and worship and in prayer together. Let's lift each other's needs up. Let's pray for each other. Let's support each other. Let's love each other the way Christ loved. For some, this may be a reprioritization of our lives from what 2022 was. Maybe we need to reprioritize some things in 2023. But I pray that you do it with the right heart and the right reason. God is faithful. He's just. He loves us. Let's love him back. Jackie, would you lead us in the song, please?
1: I'm finding it again, the wonder of your presence. I never want to leave communion, just want to
0: You know, I don't know if you feel a pain of conviction on that line, no more going through the motions. How easy is it to come into church to just to go through the motions? Do you think God's pleased with that? Do you think that's kind of insulting to God that we would come and just go through our physical emotions, our fleshly emotions? just to go through it, just to make it look like something we're not. Can I pray a prayer of forgiveness, of repentance for that, for all of us? If you agree with that, would you stand with me? And would you pray with me together that we would be forgiven of the the motions that we go through just to make it look like we're doing something for God? Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to forgive us as a church. And God, that doesn't mean we're bad people, so don't go down the road of condemnation. I'm just going back to an area of conviction that says sometimes we come in and we just go through the motions, that we're really not honoring you for who you really are. We're really not giving you all of our worship and not giving you all of ourself because you name the reason. So I pray, Father, that you forgive us today. Lord, we come into your presence today, forgiven, no condemnation. We're sprinkled by the blood of Christ that removes all guilty consciousness. We are passing through Niagara Falls. We are washing our life clean again now. And for that, we can praise you. We can worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be blessed today. Be encouraged. Know that the best is yet to come.